Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we breach weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this Blast from the Past edition, from 2009, Patrick Ruby and I discussed Deja Vu and the seven statistical rules to improve your online dating success. But first, from 2001, he's David Blank with the story of the physicist ahead of his time. The astronomer Fritz Zwicky thought that being right was more important than being nice, which partly explains why his work was ignored for decades. Born on February 14, 1898 in Varna, Bulgaria, Zwicky later moved to Switzerland as a child and graduated in 1922 from the Polytechnic in Zurich. Zwicky's work in atomic physics attracted the attention of the Nobel laureate Robert Millikan, who was hunting for staff for the new California Institute of Technology, which was founded just a few years earlier. Zwicky arrived there in 1925 and worked at Caltech for the rest of his life. Zwicky's cantankerous reputation grew soon after his arrival. One of the first things he said to his boss, Robert Millikan, was that he, Millikan, never had any good ideas. Zwicky went on by saying that he gets a good idea every year or so. His relations with other colleagues was illustrated by his comment that most of them were spherical bastards. By that he explained was that they were bastards no matter which way you looked at them. So Wiki further dismayed his boss by changing his interest from atomic physics to astronomy. In 1934, Zwicky and Walter Bader proposed that the cloud of gas known as the Crab Nebula was actually the debris from an explosion of a massive star and that the remains of that massive star may still exist in a very dense, small remnant. These objects, called neutron stars, were later discovered by Jocelyn Bell in 1967. Later work revealed that the Crab Nebula neutron star had all the properties predicted by Zwicky and Bader. A little later, Zwicky discovered that in galaxy clusters, which are simply lots of galaxies packed close together, the individual galaxies were moving much faster than they should be. He suggested that the reason for the faster motion was that these galaxy clusters contained far more matter than was readily visible. That the universe could contain unseen or dark matter was so strange at the time that his work was not appreciated until the 1970s when this work was rediscovered. The nature and origin of dark matter is still far from solved and is one of the most active areas of research today. Zwicky died in 1972, having the last laugh. In his final years, he would go to scientific conferences and point out in the middle of someone's talk that the so-called new discovery was something he discovered decades earlier. I suppose that being right may not make you any friends, but it does make it more likely that your work will be remembered. Thank you, David Blank. From 2009, once again, Patrick Ruby and I discuss the feeling that we've seen this before. Have you ever had the feeling, Ian, that you've seen something, but you just can't pinpoint where you've seen it? Again? Yes, again. Deja vu. Matrix 
by the way, was one of my favorite films, and the whole black cat deja vu thing really spoke to me. Alan Brown, psychologist at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, has been studying the phenomenon. And one of the current theories that's out there that is trying to explain deja vu is that deja vu is actually a moment that has been triggered by a conscious recognition of a visual cue. So what's happened is you've seen something a couple of minutes before and then you see something again which triggers the memory before you've actually processed it completely. And that's why you get the feeling of deja vu, like you've seen something before but you're just not quite sure what it is. Alan Brown tested this with a bunch of subjects, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, by making a cryptic pattern appear on a computer screen in front of the subjects and then following that with an unfamiliar symbol and then asking the question, have you encountered the symbol before? And for some subjects, the cryptic pattern that appears on the computer first had the symbol hidden in it. So you get the cryptic pattern where you can't quite see what's in it with the symbol hidden within it. Then you get the symbol and then you're asked, did you see the symbol or have you encountered it before? Now, there's about 35 milliseconds between the cryptic pattern and the symbol. So what it's doing is it's teasing your memory and not really giving it a lot, a lot of time to be processed. They found that with 144 test subjects, two dozen university students said they had seen the symbol before the experiment about 22% of the time when the particular symbol had been put inside the cryptic pattern. So 22% of them admit to having seen it before, but they're not quite sure where they saw it. With uh, students that didn't have the teaser signal symbol put inside the pattern, only 10% or less admitted to having seen the signal before. Well, hold on. So those 10% were lying or they were just wrong? Yes. It could have been either way. They were just wrong. So... People are getting deja vu even when they haven't seen it before. And only mm. twice as many, 20% you were saying roughly. Yep. Well, I suppose the question is, is that significant? Is that significant enough to be an explanation? Mm. That I they really that... did see it before and therefore that's why they say they saw it before. Well, the other, the other interesting <laughs> thing about that is... What's happened to the rest is, of them? Um, 80% of the volunteers said that they were confused about whether they'd seen the symbol or not. Um, and half had said that they had a deja vu experience in the lab. But this is half of all the students, not just the, uh, this is including the ones that had seen um, the particular symbol, which is hidden inside the cryptic pattern. Most volunteers claim that they normally experience deja vu twice a year or less. So I suppose you, you're dealing with a population of people that normally experience deja vu and you put them in a setting and a certain percentage of them experienced deja vu, half of them experienced deja vu, 22% of them have a reason to, and about 10% of them don't, according to this study. Anyway, it's all adding to the theory that, or collecting data for the theory that deja vu is involved with subconscious processing of images. And this particular team is now planning to take the research to another level by using virtual reality to immerse students in an environment and then bombard them with signals to see if the deja vu experience is repeated. 
Well, I find this fascinating because this unconscious processing of images, this is uh, related to blindsight. Because what we're talking about is it's, it's the unconscious and the conscious mind mm-hmm. communicating indirectly. So your conscious mind knows, it just has a feeling that there is, I've seen that before. I don't remember seeing it. I don't know why I think I've seen it. It doesn't make sense to me. But your unconscious is going, oh, you've seen it before. Blindsight itself is a really interesting phenomenon because if you look at visual pathways, most of our visual input, most of the light that goes in through our retina and travels down our optic nerves goes to this little part of the brain called the lateral geniculate nucleus, which then sends these um, nerve fibers to the back of our brain, our visual cortex, which creates the images that we see, the world around us. However, not all of it goes this way. Some of it goes via different pathways. They go to things called the pretectal areas, which are areas in smaller parts of our brain, like the midbrain, and around the back of it is an area called the superior colliculus, which is involved in doing reflexes, such as someone throws a ball at you without even thinking about it. You know where it is. You know it's coming at you pretty fast. You duck or you catch it. That's part of a reflex which doesn't actually involve a lot of conscious visual processing. And people with blind sight uh, may have lesions or uh, disturbances in the main visual area, so the lateral geniculate nucleus and, and the part of the pathway which is processing the full image. But because you're still getting some sort of visual input in, which is registered by some part of your brain, people may actually be blind and yet not bump into objects when they're walking. There is, they're able to sense objects and walk around them. A really fascinating phenomenon. Not sure if it has much to do with deja vu. Well, it does, because deja vu, as you've just described the experiment, is these people having an unconscious sense of something that they didn't consciously see. So their eyes took in the pattern, but their conscious mind didn't perceive it. But the unconscious part of their brain did and told them about it when it came up again. So it's, again, your unconscious mind is encompassing more of your senses and is processing the information that it doesn't pass on to your conscious mind. It's an indicator that maybe a lot of what's going on in our heads isn't available normally to our conscious mind until we need it. I mean, look, the blind side is a, is a good example because you can put this to use. Have you ever suffered from domestic blindness where there's stuff you've put down, your keys or something, and you're pretty sure they're probably in plain view because you would, wouldn't put them anywhere else, but you can't see them because it's your house, it's your place, and you've, everything looks familiar and you just can't see them. Yes, I've had that several times before. I, I put it down to personal stupidity on more than one occasion. But sure. I, I get your point. But my point is you, there's a way around that, using blindsight. So this is, this is what I do when I have that problem, mm-hmm. is I know my eyes are taking in the information, right? My eyes are taking it in, and somewhere in my unconscious is that information. Consciously, I can't see it. I search my place, I can't find my keys. But I've seen them, I must have, because they've got to be there, right? Mm-hmm. So what I do is I put out my hand and I pretend I have the magic power to detect it psychically. Now, I don't close my eyes like a real psychic would because I'm cheating. I'm trying to use the information from my eyes in a different way. I'm trying to use my unconscious information. So if I reach out and psychically you know, go for the feeling. Where is it? I get a feeling for where it is. I can usually find it. After I've given up 
doing things consciously. It's a bridge to the unconscious using this sort of magical thinking. But of course, if I close my eyes, it wouldn't work because I don't have psychic powers. Uh, it's no, there's no magic there. It's all unconscious talking to my conscious. And try it. If you lose your keys, you lose something. Pretend you have psychic powers, but keep your eyes open mm. so it will work. And it gives you a high – it's not going to guarantee it, but it gives you an extra chance mm. so you don't get locked out. Interesting words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And finally, from 2009, Patrick, Ruby and I discuss the seven ways statistically found to improve your chances of success with online dating. Yes, the OkCupid website, offering their free online dating, they've looked at 500,000 first contacts. That's the first email that you send and receive when you see someone you like on the website or someone on the website sees you. They managed to do a statistical analysis by stripping away all the identifying characteristics, the IP numbers, the names, things like that. So it's all just numbers, no embarrassment necessary. And they've discovered that there are things you can do, seven things that they recommend you do to increase the chances of getting a good response to that first contact you try to make. Seven special techniques to improve your chances. Exactly. So number one that gets the best response, be literate. Don't use NetSpeak, use proper English. That kind of makes sense. It's always good to be able to talk to a potential partner. And to know that they (laughs) can actually write. Yes, Yes. So they get a bit tired of uh, of all the shortened stuff that we send on our mobile phones, like, are you yeah. okay? As in, exactly. letter R, letter U, okay. And leaving out the apostrophes and things like that, it turns people off. And then putting in numbers instead, like two instead of two, T-O. Exactly, exactly. So all of those, if you use anything like that, it's a negative response. It <sighs> must be where I'm going wrong. Something to improve for next time. <laughs> So the second point was mm-hmm. avoid physical compliments. Avoid physical compliments. So what type of physical compliments must one avoid? So, Well, think it through. You haven't met this person yet. Mm-hmm. So all you're going on is a photo, if you're lucky, and their profile. Mm-hmm. If you're starting in with the physical compliments, you're not very genuine. I suppose not. So you wouldn't be able to say something like you have nice hair or you have pretty eyes straight away. That's a big no-no, is it? Exactly, because it sounds like a pick-up line if you've just met someone. It does sound quite like a pick-up line, doesn't it? I suppose you have to wait for the second date before you're allowed to compliment. At least until you've met them. (laughs) This is before the first date. Before the first date, yeah. This is is first contact by text. It is a bit stalkerish, isn't it, if (laughs) if it's like that? (laughs) They were saying that if you use the word pretty, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, If it's a physical compliment, it does badly. Yeah. But if you use it as an adverb, as in, I'm pretty good at sports, it's just another word and it actually does okay, which they talk about later. But if you say you're pretty or you're very pretty or you're beautiful or you're gorgeous or sexy, Mm -hmm. very negative responses to your first message because you're going over the top. Mm. Yes, I can imagine that. All right. I'm scribbling this all down furiously as you tell me, Ian. What's (laughs) number three? Use an unusual greeting. An unusual greeting. Now, 
I yes. think that could possibly go both ways. <laughs> when you say unusual, can you be more specific at all? Yes. Well, they say, look, this is someone's first impression of your first impression. Mm-hmm. So if you use slang, well, basically, what are they saying here? They're saying the three most popular ways to say hello were all bad beginnings. Mm-hmm. Saying hola and yo and all these sort of things didn't go so well. So it's smarter to use no traditional salutation at all. Even Don't even say hi or hello. Mm-hmm. And you get a reply rate of 27%. And just dive into actually what you want to say rather than start with hi. So not even a hello. Hmm. Well, exactly. Or else, you know, go how's it going, what's up and howdy did all pretty well. Because mm-hmm. they were casual and relaxed. Although you had me at WhatsApp doesn't quite have the same ring. No, it does sound a bit contrived, doesn't it? You have it, me at WhatsApp. Yeah. <laughs> it's all a bit pick-up-y and that turns people off. Yes. Well, all right. That kind of groups in with the second point. Okay. Mm. What else have you got for me, Ian? Well, this is an important one. Don't try to take it outside. Don't try to, don't try to take it outside. Well, look, while it's all fun and games doing on-site messaging within the dating site... But of course, eventually, if you want a real relationship, you've got to go into real life. Yeah. IRL. (laughs) But if you immediately offered a chat or an email address or a phone number Mm. in your first message to them, that turns people right off. Ah. Because one of the things people like is anonymity when you're first on online dating. You don't really know who they are. You just know their profile. And if they don't like you, they don't want to be afraid that you're going to stalk them. Mm, That makes sense. Yeah, so you don't want to scare them away. And if you ask for or give away your phone number, or cell number, as they say on the OkCupid site, that gives you a negative 10%. Negative 10% for the phone number. Yeah. So don't be too keen with that first message. Play it cool and... Play it cool. And keep it virtual. (laughs) Don't try and cross the line into reality. Well, reality is okay as long as you just talk about reality and don't push too hard. Okay. So, All right. Number five. Number five. What bring up specific interests. Specific interests. So. And when I say specific, I mean specific. These people are interested in you for being you, and they're as odd and interesting as you are. So, so long walks on the beach. Is that specific No, that doesn't enough? cut it. That, that doesn't, doesn't cut, cut it. it. I'm talking about things like zombie. Now, things you might think would turn off a potential partner actually seem to turn them on. So, like, the top words, yes. right? Um, we'll, we'll get, the actual top word we'll get to later because that has its own special section because it was so popular. But zombie, I mean, would you think? You think that's a pretty nerdy geek guy sort of thing? Turns out, no. No, if you're interested in zombies and they're interested in zombies, then they're really interested. Yes, I suppose so. I mean, it cuts to the chase. It, do- <laughs> it doesn't leave too much to the imagination. You just, I like zombies, you like zombies. Well, I guess we're meant for each other. Yeah. Although well, you can't say that in your first, because that oh, it's no, going no, too no. serious. You not can't cool. Not cool enough. And you can't say they're pretty as well. No. Say, I like zombies and you're pretty. That's a big no-no. <laughs> but you can talk about bands. The you word talk band. About band. Okay. Yeah. I mean, ideally if you're in a band, but just band at all. Mm-hmm. Tattoos. Okay. Literature. 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 Makes it up there. Studying. Because mm. it's a real sort of thing, I suspect. And there's a lot of students out there looking for love. So do they say I am studying or I like studying? Just merely using the word is ah, in there. This so is all keywords. This is all statistical analysis. Ah. Vegetarian. Okay. Yes. Metal. Metal. Yes. As in 
any specific metal? Well, I'm thinking as in music. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it could be copper, but I'm thinking <laughs> heavy. A bit too sciencey geeky just then. <laughs> but yes. So continue. that's all something that's important to you and the person you're talking to, ideally both of you. Hmm. So it's one of those you know, time-honored ways of getting to know someone is that you've got things in common. Yes, that so makes sense. So there you go. Every niche word you use seems to have significant... They've got significant data that has a positive effect on the messages. Hmm. So don't be afraid of your little hobbies not being so popular. Just take the plunge because there are people out there like you who like zombies. <laughs> and, and number six. six. Well, hmm. if you're a guy, be self-effacing. Self-effacing. Yeah. Now, this is an odd one because really the normal dating world tells you be more confident. Confident men are attractive, but not online. Mm. So it turns out the words, the keywords they want you to use, well, they, that, that have got done well, is awkward, sorry, apologize, kinder, and probably all made the messages more successful. This is sounding fantastic for me because that basically describes how I interact. <laughs> Awkward, kind of. I'm sorry. Oh, this is great. So you don't want to go out there and oversell yourself. No, they're saying a little hemming and whoring online. That doesn't sound well hemming at all. Hemming and whoring. A little hemming and whoring. Hoing. Oh, okay. uh, it works so much better in an American accent, I suspect, <laughs> than an Australian one. <laughs> I wonder if there's an Australian equivalent to that. To hemming and whoring and erring and umming? Erring and umming. Do you think? Yes. Erring and umming, I suppose. Online? Um, look, they've got... If you look up the OkCupid okay blog, they have wonderful bar charts of all of this. Oh, really? And we can't show you this, obviously, on radio, but uh, I'll just quickly show this to Patrick so we can see the male self-effacement mm. bar chart. Of I'm sorry. all for a bar chart. <laughs> show me these bar charts. Wow. So the most popular word in male self-effacement is sorry, and then apologize, and then awkward, and then pretty... Mm, not so popular down the bottom, probably, and then kinder. So, okay. So being not too full of yourself and not being afraid of the of saying the A word, awkward. Well, they're saying the average reply rate of man-to-woman messages is 27%. 27%. Yeah, so that means 73% don't reply when you send them out a message. Hmm. So women like guys who write mumbly, they suggest here. Um, don't let the appearance of vulnerability become the appearance of sweaty desperation. Please. <laughs> <laughs> sweaty desperation. Well, I suppose it's a fine line to tread, really, isn't it? Please is on the negative 22% reply rate. Yes. And it's the only word that's grubbly. actually... It's the only word that's actually worse for you than its NetSpeak equivalent of PLS. Okay. Mm. But you can't use NetSpeak because rule number one was use proper grammar. That's right. Proper We've words. come up to the last rule. All right. What is rule number seven? Rule number seven. Now, this will be a little bit controversial. Consider becoming an atheist. Becoming an atheist. This was the number one keyword that got the most responses. Really? So now, you just say, yeah, I'm, I'm an atheist. I don't really believe in God or anything like that. And then you're, you get a massive response to you. Everyone loves it. Well, they're saying mentioning your religion helps you, but it helps you most if you have no religion. Ah. So the numbers say 
they've got the religious terms here, and basically statistical significant number of times that atheist showed up was surprisingly often. 342 times per 10,000 messages, mm -hmm. second only to 552 mentions of Christian, ahead of 278 for Jewish and 142 for Muslim. And again, with the bar graph, you'll see the only negative word was God. So don't mention God. Don't mention God. You can mention your religion, you'll get a little bit of a response, but the highest by far was atheist. They say, though very few people actually do it, invoking the sky-breaking thunderbolts of Zeus does help a person get noticed. Reply rate, 56%. 56%. Versus the average For Zeus. of 27. Hmm. So, so just slip Zeus into, slip a, Zeus in into a casual conversation <laughs> and see how you go. But atheists came out on top. Mm. Well, they're saying, look, maybe that's not so unusual when the site is called OK Cupid, which is also from a classic pantheon. But so, so, so if you can't bring yourself to deny the deity, consider opening yourself up to a whole wacky bunch of them. <laughs> So, if we look at the seven steps in their entirety, you find mm. that for online dating, the best achievers are well-educated, grammatically correct, self-effacing atheists. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks very much, Ian. Thank you, Patrick Ruby. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7 LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2 XFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. 
in the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.